All right, Aaron, welcome to the Blockhash podcast. And today is actually episode 200. Um, yay, I just realized that. So that's pretty cool. Um, glad to have you on. How you doing? Good. How's it going, Brandon? Congratulations on the 200th episode. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I, I just realized that I should have done something more exciting in terms of an intro, and but, but oh well. <laughs> I was thinking how, how I do like the intro music. It's cool. Yeah, I have a friend that makes me all the intro music, um, so I'm lucky I don't have to really go and, and pay to get that kind of stuff done. So he just kind of supplies me some good good tunes, some good beats, and uh, he gets some free promotion. So it's a good, good um, partnership there. Anyways, Aaron, again, thank you for coming on. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Like, what's what's your story? How did you get into this space? How did you find yourself immersed in this crazy, amazing world of crypto and blockchain? Sure. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. And um, uh, I guess my background. So it was always our belief that Bitcoin was best regulated under the securities laws. If you look at the way beyond it, actually, Bitcoin's not a security. There's no question about that. But beyond, but the way it's transacted and the way that investors speculate on it in the sense that they, are, they expect some sort of return, and that's really the primary purpose in their participation, uh, it would make sense that an asset like that is regulated under the securities laws. And their thought was is that we wanted to create a system initially, and this is 2013, this is a long time ago, that uh, where we were able to transact Bitcoin through an ATS, an alternative trans uh, alternative, excuse me, alternative trading system in a brokerage mm-hmm. account, and the idea was that you'd have investor protection, full and fair disclosure, fair and orderly markets, all the things that the securities laws provide. So uh, that's how I initially got into the business to try to quote unquote regulate Bitcoin, which is such an absurd thing to say. But um, essentially, uh, we wrote a no action letter to the SEC, and I think this is April 2014. And myself and the law firm where, that actually incubated Prometheum, uh, so where I was working at the time. Uh, and what ended up happening is that we submitted the no action letter to the SEC. And at the time, they didn't really know or understand as much about Bitcoin. And the blockchain components were like, you know, out there to them at the moment. And it makes sense because it was a totally new idea. They're a financial regulator. They're not necessarily technologists. Now they are much more. But, but um. So we sort of got bedbugged at the SEC, but then I really focused, I'm a securities attorney by trade and I was in financial services before that. And I focused my practice on the application of distributed ledger technology to the securities industry and really uh, the related regulatory issues. So um, from there, I participated in some of the early legal token framework conferences um, that were more academic, you know, coming out of the big universities and stuff. And then when the Dow report, uh, the DAO report came out in July 2017, which is really the first time that the SEC commented on the application of the securities laws to the digital asset universe. It wasn't called digital assets at the time. Let's say it was called tokens or whatever it was. Um, you know, the, the nomenclature becomes a little bit confusing over time. But um, when that came out, and it was really, which if you cut through the legal lease, said that depending on the facts and circumstances, the securities laws apply to digital assets. And if you took it a step deeper, they basically said that most of these things are securities and therefore there's going to be major applications of these frameworks, meaning <clears throat> the federal securities laws, the FINRA requirements, et cetera, et cetera, to the industry. So that's when we started Prometheum. And the idea for Prometheum was to build a public market infrastructure, meaning a infrastructure where an asset could be issued on a blockchain. It could be traded 
and then it could be uh, settled and custodied properly under the federal securities laws. Uh, and the idea was to do it using on top of a blockchain and really integrating as much blockchain technology as possible. Uh, now, just to be frank, that process isn't as quick as you would think. You're sort of boiling an ocean from some like technological component. But in the meantime, we set about building our public market infrastructure. And sort of what needs to be distinguished here is that most people are familiar with the private share markets. Um, you know, the T-Zeros, the Securitize, the other people like that, they have those. Uh, that's only limited to accredited investors and institutions. I don't think that's what's necessary for the industry or sort of digital assets to go mainstream and allow for the participation of major institutions and just the general retail investment public. So we sort of set out to become the generation after that, which is a public market infrastructure. And uh, my dates might be a little bit off, but we received approval from FINRA and the SEC, you know, in the past uh, five, six, three, four months, whatever it is. And now the goal for us is to launch our system and basically allow the retail public to be able to be trading uh, digital assets compliantly under the federal securities laws. And that obviously that's a major step forward. I think that'll be a major step because uh, if you follow Chairman Gensler, and I'm sorry if this goes too much into regulatory stuff, but no Chairman Gensler from the SEC uh, has basically said that uh, in his last big, you know, interview, wherever it was, said that uh, crypto exchanges should be regu registered under securities laws, that they're trading securities, <laughs> and that basically... Uh, if you read through the lines, given that he's a very capable and focused man, uh, I don't know if a reckoning's coming, but there's going to be a point in time when there's an official designation. And when that occurs, uh, it's going to be difficult for the major crypto exchanges in the United States who aren't registered under securities laws or registered as money service bureaus with money transmitter licensure uh, to be as active in the space and to have list as many assets. And we see ourselves as the future now where things are going in that we're first the public market infrastructure and two, the compliant infrastructure where we're going to allow uh, any and all digital assets that we're, we're permitted to to trade under the federal securities laws. And uh, the plan is to launch uh, Q1. What do you think that future designation looks like um, when they do that for crypto? Because it, it could go a number of different ways. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of one of those... Uh, one of those events that leads to a, a cascade of other events, you know, that mm -hmm. falls uh, as a result of it. Uh, you know, my thoughts on it have changed over time. I don't think, given that what's happened internationally, part particularly in China, I don't think the United States is going to try to uh, destroy the innovative complexities and universe and sort of uh, the entire industry that's developed around digital assets, blockchain, everything related there. Uh, I think what there might be is you might see some sort of um, safe harbor period where they could be try to become in compliance and sort of get uh, have uh, some sort of grandfathering in in some capacity. So, but I think the UK did something similar there, where that they said, okay, crypto exchanges, all of a sudden you're going to be regulated in order to maintain your whatever your business lines and whatever you're doing, you have to come in compliance with these standards. I think that might be one avenue. I think another avenue is is that. And this has been more of my thought recently is that it might be a situation where the major exchanges will have to partner with the ATSs, such that they have some sort of arrangement where they can give their clients access to it. Now, it, they'll still have to make changes. 
Um, from my understanding, and uh, is that if you're on the major crypto exchange in the United States, you can't even get the statement. Like you can't get right. a statement. I'm not, I'm not saying something that's so, so such a high requirement that it's like such like an effete snob thought process. No, I can't even get a statement of what I've done in the past 30 days. Right. So like they're going to have to make changes there as well. But they're, you know, they're major institutions. They can they can, uh, you know, affect change if they have to. But that's an alternative option that they'll have some sort of grandfather, but then they'll partner with uh, companies like Prometheum that will be able to actually offer these assets. Now, mm-hmm. now it's not so, it's, it's not, to be frank, it's not, it's not an easy process. Like, like there's so many parts involved in the, in the trade life cycle. Whereas if you try to, when you're doing it under federal securities laws, that you need to get everyone to go along. So, you know, the custodians need to be on board. Uh, there's things like trade reporting, which but no one knows about. Like, who cares about trade reporting? You, it, it, the, the trader doesn't care about trade reporting. But the technical components and the implications of, tw- of trade reporting or of 12G, which is a, a rule by which uh, the, an illiquid security can gain liquidity after a certain part of a year after a time period. And the implications of that are whether someone's an affiliate or they're, a, or they're an insider. There's lots of different uh, considerations here. But this is what's coming. It, it's it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when now. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. There's already this interagency like loggerheads that's going on too. The IRS has already said, depending on what gets put out in the infrastructure bill, that they might not even follow it because it doesn't make sense to them. And they're the one that have been hammering away at this stuff, trying to understand it for for like five years now. So I, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out, like how they designate things, how they classify things through legislation, and then whether or not other agencies are going to abide by it. Because some of the things, to be honest, what they've proposed don't make any sense at all. Um, I mean, the definition of a broker? Some of <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> any, any transaction over $10,000, the people who are responsible for uh, essentially AML, KYC on both sides? Like, yeah, uh, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't doesn't make total sense, but I mean, we'll see. Um, how, again, do, wh- look at well, just one point here. Like mm-hmm. his, historically, if you look at the history of like societies in general, the regulation of money is like one of the main things governments do, right? So I'm mm-hmm. listening to uh, my History of Rome podcast, which is fantastic, and they're talking about how the denarii used to be eighty percent silver. And then slowly over time, the emperor would reduce it in order to cover, you know, the budgetary outflows, basically, you know, inflows versus outflows, you know, you're spending more than you're getting in, right? Mm -hmm. But they're still controlling it. Like, I think this was a, I don't know if it's an anomaly or a unique period of time in time, but like the regulation of money, whether it's, and the line of money is blurring, it's not just traditional money now. Now it's money with a use case, right? So like, like, what is a utility token? It has some mm-hmm. sort of fungible value, plus there's a utility to it, right? Uh, that sort of needs to be – That I think that continues to need to be regulated. And I think that mm-hmm. people who, who have the mentality, like, historically heard innovation kills regulation. I mean, excuse me, regulation kills innovation, mm-hmm. which I think that people like just because it flows off your tongue, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, but – in order for the industry to go mainstream as a whole, whether it be on the stablecoin side, whether it be on the digital asset side, whether it be on the uh, and any component of the industry, right? Mm-hmm. These are going to have to be regulated financial services, and that's sort of what our thesis has always been. 
Yeah, you know, I don't have any issue with there being some sort of regulation. I know that kind of scares people and it gets bad press, but when you have correct regulation, you have at least a little bit of it, then that gives you know people an idea of how they can play. You know, it, it takes off the the stress of doing something wrong and getting in trouble, and you're like, okay, I know what the uh, the bounds are. I know what I can do and how far I can go, and you know what the rules are for the game, essentially. Um, what I don't like is when they you know make really uneducated um, ideas or accusations or say things like Bitcoin should be listed as a commodity. Like it doesn't make sense to lump everything together and say, okay, uh, corn, wheat, barley, Bitcoin, cedar, like which one doesn't belong here? Like it doesn't, some things just don't make sense. Or, or I'd like to sense. point out though, <laughs> in the commodities universe, they're not physicals. Mm -hmm. like, like if you actually called in all the commodity contracts against the physicals, it wouldn't work. Right. So like, so, so like they see it as just a contract, but I agree with you. It doesn't fit into that mode. I think what you have here is sort of, and I, I've been noticing it more and more is that part of the issue that I think there is with government is that, uh, particularly in America is our government are ran by octogenarians mm -hmm. and no disrespect. Like, like, honestly, the wisdom is there, but like, it's very hard. I, when I, I'm 37, when I'm 47, 57, I think it's going to be hard for me to focus enough specifically, unless I'm doing this specifically mm -hmm. to be able to contend. I hope I am, but like to be able to particularly regulate in an intelligible fashion. And, uh, I, like, I think that the other thing that you're looking, and this is sort of, we sort of like grazed upon this before is that in the beginning, particularly under the previous SEC, it was sort of like uh, you know, the Wild West at some capacity and that, you know, just don't go too far over the line and we'll look the other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen in the United States across the board with a lot of laws. Like what happens with the, with the marijuana law? Mm -hmm. Just make it legal if you're going to be able to regulate it as an industry. Why do we have to pretend in this like, you know, this pseudo legality? Like one of the issues I think you're seeing in general is that laws have become stale and instead of getting rid of them and replacing them with others they're just trying to look the other way and i think that this is an opportunity to end that trend so like actively and intelligently regulate this industry particularly with the gift that china gave us like china was one of the first countries that was very pro blockchain obviously it's you know centralized in the capacity in the sense that they're saying it from a mandate from above but but they understood the benefits of it and now that they've sort of said that's a no-go, it creates a great opportunity for America if they're going to be able to regulate it properly, have to invite entrepreneurs and have the innovation occur here. Right. Um, you know, China knows exactly what they're doing. They mm -hmm. want a firm grip over that industry within China. So, yeah, you, you see all these bans and everything and whatnot. They do like every year or two years on Bitcoin. But, I mean... In the end, they're heavily promoting and allowing innovation for blockchain within certain bounds, and they just want a centralized, you know, governing body to control it, and they want to make money off of it. They want to integrate it with their system. If they didn't believe in it, they wouldn't be creating a CBDC or wouldn't have and created a CBDC. And they made all the money in the beginning. Yep. They're the yep, ones that's who just were how they like fifty plus percent of the mining was there, like all the validation, like, and and who could criticize? Who you can criticize? That's what they. That's what a proactive mm -hmm. government should do. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. No, I get it. Yeah, totally. Uh, tell me more about uh, Prometheum, though. Like, what what's uh, this 
what's your guys's goal? Like, what are you guys trying to accomplish with Promethium overall? Um, you know, what, what types of products and services are you putting out there? Give me a bit of a rundown. Sure. So the goal initially was just to create a public market infrastructure where anyone could trade digital assets, right? Mm -hmm. To be, and like, this is not the, a perfect example. So sometimes, you know, if, it's not perfect, but NASDAQ on a blockchain, sure. right? <laughs> like that was initially, but once you get into the molecular level, so first our goal was to become a public market ATS. And just so you understand, like a public market infrastructure that has pre and post trade risk management, the admins, everything that goes into that, it, it's almost light years ahead of a private share market. It's, it's a totally different beast. It's apples and oranges. Beyond that, now that we have the ATS and we're going to the goal is to go live in Q1, the next focus is the special purpose broker dealer, which is the equivalent of the clearing and custody side in the digital asset universe. So, uh, and this is to the furthest of my belief, and I'm pretty sure about this, Prometheum's the first public market ATS in the United States. Uh, yeah, you can look at all the others. It's it's there's it's a difference, right? But now that we have that in place and we'll go live, the next thing is I think to become the one of the first, if not the first, special purpose broker dealer, because a special purpose broker dealer. What is the main business that ties into that? It's it's the ATS. The ATS has to have the relationship with the custodian, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I would say that's the next big step for us and. That was sort of our goal all along. At the time when we started, so we started in, uh, you know, September 2017. There was no special purpose broker dealer release. I believe the release comes out in uh, Christmas of 2020, maybe something mm -hmm. like that, right? But like, uh, so we've been focusing our efforts to basically create the frameworks that are required there because it's not like there's a model that exists out there. And it's not like you could say, okay, we'll take a clearing firm and then we'll figure it out. That's not how it works. This is a totally different infrastructure. And not just that, a clearing firm, uh, if you read the release, is not allowed to actually custody digital assets. It's sort of a bifurcation between the special purpose broker dealer and the rest of the clearing firms. So once you become this clearing firm, excuse me, the special purpose broker dealer, um, and you have the ATS, then you've really created the, really the securities house infrastructure that you've been going for all along. Because... You can create a digital asset, you can list a digital asset, you could settle and you can custody it. Got it. Um, so you guys are aiming to go live in Q1 of 2022, correct? Mm -hmm. Got it. When you say an alternative trading system in ATS, what, what does that mean exactly? Are you talking about trading system for just cryptocurrencies? Are you talking about um, a tokenized security? Um, or what does that encompass? So that's a good question. So, so in my mind, there's one or two cryptos, like mm -hmm. true cryptos. You have Bitcoin. And then after that, maybe you have Ethereum, which has some sort of, you know, confusion based on the comments coming from the powers that be that maybe it's a security, maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Right. If you re if you listen to the most recent comments from the chairman, my impression is, is that his impression is that it's a security. Not saying it, it, it matters, but that's that's where it comes. So assume not Bitcoin, right? Because when you, when you deal with large institutions now and they say, oh, we're integrating crypto, it means they want to give their clients the ability to trade Bitcoin. I'm talking about the digital asset universe, the entire utility token universe, everything after Bitcoin, everything that's a smart contract enabled network. Now, again, our whole mentality has been this crawl, walk, run approach. 
So we've always tried to work with the regulators across the board to make sure that, you know, that, that everyone's comfortable with what's going on. And I think that uh, given what I mentioned before about the chairman's comments that a lot of uh, securities are trading on crypto exchanges, I think they provide a, those specific, you know, classification or those grouping of assets, which is a lot of assets. It's not a few. Right? Those provide a uh, good source of potential, potential listable assets on our, our ATS. Got it. Um, what's that going to look like? You know, when you guys launch in Q1, are you going to have like a bunch of stuff people can, you know, start investing in right away? Or is this going to be like a slowly brought out like launch or what's the plan? I think the goal is to launch with three, three tokens. Okay. And then add thereafter. Um, what, again, what you're trying to do here is you're doing twofold. You're launching. So the goal is, you know, you're focused on revenues and everything like that, but you're also proving out your system. This doesn't exist right now. There's no, there's no uh, alternative trading system that is trading uh, the digital assets that we're looking forward to trading. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a, and I think what you'll see then is you'll start to see a crossover in that you'll have assets that are potentially listed on a crypto exchange and they're also listed on our platform. But on our platform, you're protected by the federal securities laws, which means that like you can get a statement. That's not, that's a minimal thing on the federal securities laws, but you can get a statement. You you could basically if you call up and you have a complaint about your account, someone has to pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. Everyone's heard the horror stories of that that essentially you call up, your your account's frozen, the market's moving, your account's frozen on a crypto exchange and it takes a month to unlock. Sure. That doesn't work in a brokerage account. You have regulations against that. You can't you can't I think what you're seeing in that universe is that historically you have that like Facebook model. Who cares? We have enough users. Why does the individual matter? Right. But like, but, mm -hmm. but that's not how it's going to work. Once these are, uh, once this is regulated under federal securities laws, when people have actual complaints, there could, there's arbitration that they could file. There's, there, there's basically not just that you have the investor protection that we spoke about in that capacity. You have full and fair disclosure, meaning like all the information that has to be disclosed, that can be disclosed, has to be disclosed, has to be disseminated publicly, right? Mm -hmm. That's a little bit harder when it comes from, you know, how does it work with the utility token that, that isn't necessarily a reported company. That, but not just that. The third thing is you have fair and orderly markets. Fair and orderly markets means that, like, you're getting best price execution. I don't think that's happening on crypto exchanges. It, 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 you're not seeing that. It's not like you see the book. It's, it, it just doesn't work like that. And particularly if you have like a, a set order where it's like, oh, I'll buy $100 a day of this asset. You mm -hmm. really think that you're getting best execution? <laughs> like, I don't want to say too, you sure. know, but you're not. <laughs> like, and so, so what I think you'll see is that there might even be a situation where you have premiums for assets listed on our platform because you have these protections. Right. Versus the way the versus the price on a different on a you know if it's listed on a crypto exchange, and I, I don't think that what we're saying is so revolutionary. It's just the natural evolution in how the space is going to go. Regulations here, it's being implemented. People need to be protected. Like before, when we spoke about innovation and regulation, we talked about mm -hmm. it more on the creator side, on the entrepreneur side. Like, oh, I hope that the the, the regulatory frameworks that they put in place. Don't hinder what we're trying to do. Don't make it so difficult. Don't make our lives so hard. But what about on the other side? What about on the investor side? The guy who put you know, his life savings into something, all of a sudden it disappears. There should be recourse. 
Like, there has to be that you, you need to the reason that these rules were created in the first place is because people were getting screwed and like charlatans were able to walk away with the money like it, mm-hmm. it should be that way and we don't need to revert back to a way where people had to worry whether their bank is going to be secure or whether if their bank has a run because they're making bad loans all of a sudden they've, they've lost their savings sure, that's i don't a good think point. That, so like that's why i think that this has to happen because mm-hmm. if you want this true mass adoption, if you want, you know, uh, if you want the average person to be able to use stable coins as a means of payment and whatever else you want, right? Or you mm-hmm. want the average person to participate in digital assets, or you want people just to learn more about the blockchain space and how this evolution at Web Point Three Point and everything else is going. It needs to have these protections attended to it. Does that create limits on what you guys could list, though? Like, are you guys going to be unable to list, like, Doge or Shiba coin or a privacy coin or something along those lines? Like, is there, like, a bounds that you'll have to play in? I, I think the way I would look at it is the the uh, the dog tokens are not our main market. Sure. Uh, I understand where that's coming from, and I understand, you know, you want to participate in the space, you know, live and let die, right? But, like, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, there's a lot of legitimate tokens and a lot of legitimate companies. Uh, you have companies, and I'm just giving examples, high-level examples mm-hmm. here. You have Polkadot, you have Filecoin, you have Solana, you have like you have a bunch of real tokens and real ecosystems that are really trying to, mm-hmm. you know, create something and create something that's going to change how uh, data is managed and how people interact with data and all these other things that are really important. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you look at those examples, there's you know potentially a uh, hundred plus assets you could list. What about privacy coins? Things like, mm-hmm. um, like horizon, for example, or there's some really good projects doing really cool things, but they are very privacy oriented, oriented, uh, have more anonymity attached to them. Are those things that could present an issue as well? Cause I know regulators don't like those either. Yeah. I listen again, one of the things that I was mentioning before with, uh, um, with, rule 144 and mm-hmm. the sort of the avenues you're going to have to go through to be able to list these tokens is one of the things is you're going to have to know, know who is what mm-hmm. if i can't tell where it came from how do i know it didn't go through a mixer and it's some sort of launder token uh that that will should i can't speak definitively but it makes it hard and sure one one of the things again like we've worked worked so hard over years to try to really make sure that we're in line with you know the way regulators are thinking and the way the industry's going those tokens at the current moment might present a risk that's not manageable true true um it's got to be kind of difficult to navigate some of those waters i I can't even imagine but at the same time it's got to be exciting because you're also part of this like evolutionary way of you know getting people to invest in this stuff more safely and more legitimately um where, where can people go to keep up with everything you guys are doing with Prometheum in terms of preparing to, to really launch in Q1? Um, is there a blog? Is there a Discord? Is there a, a newsletter? Where, where can people go to get educated? Yeah, just for now, the website mainly. As we move close, close to launch, we'll be uh, you know uh, sending out more information. Mm-hmm. So there's a mailing list you can sign up for. And uh, I think that... Uh, this is going to be a big thing, even though it won't seem like a big thing. Mm-hmm. And that when it happens, you'll have the first time where digital assets are actually trading on a uh, publicly, on a registered public infrastructure for that allows the 
retail trading public to participate. Like one thing we really haven't mentioned is that uh, depending on the reports you read, there's trillions of dollars. I saw one number as high as a hundred trillion dollars, which that's absurd in my mind, waiting on the sidelines to be able to participate. It's very hard for a, what I would call a securities house, which is like a European term, but let's say a securities regulated institution to integrate with a crypto exchange. But it's not difficult for a securities regulated institution to integrate with another securities house like Prometheum. Mm -hmm. And the way we've built our system is basically meant to allow traditional Wall Street, the legacy systems to integrate and to allow their clients the ability to trade digital assets through their existing accounts. And the idea there is to integrate it such that it's seamless and people can, through their existing Schwab account or whatever the like, can then trade whatever digital assets they want. And I think that's how you sort of breach that potential trillions of dollars of pent up capital that's trying to participate in the space. Got it. Um, I think this is a pretty good place to wrap up a lot of info covered and I need to go take my dog for a walk and burn her energy. Um, so Aaron, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, would love to have you on again in the future as well. Uh, after you guys go live at some point, I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, so we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Brandon, congratulations on the 200th episode, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, man. See you soon.